What's up, Bernita? What's up, Brianna? Man, we have another episode for everybody today, right? Yeah, I'm so excited about this one. Yeah, me too. Sitting down with this couple, the Hesters, they're such an amazing couple, and just being able to sit down with them and hear their story, hear their journey, and hear their, their challenges as a young couple starting a family really, you know, was very inspiring and motivating and it really had me at tears, honestly. Yeah. So I'm just excited for you guys to hear what they had to share with us. And um, I hope you guys feel inspired and learn from their story as well. Yeah, yeah. We're super excited about putting this episode out. Uh, sitting with the Hesters has really made us think about you know, some of the little things that we may take for granted, such as starting a family and thinking that it's um, a walk in the park, uh, but hitting roadblocks and uh, things that may not go as planned. Uh, this couple has definitely shown that through faith, through prayer, through hopes, um, you know, they came out on top. So, Absolutely. Yeah, we, we hope you guys enjoy this one. There it is. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I, like I told you there, I was following, I wasn't like following your story too much. Cause I still don't have too much of a big idea of, of you guys' story. And I think that's why I wanted to do this interview, but, um, I have a lot of friends that have gone through what you guys, similar situations are going through. So I thought it'd be super beneficial for them. So thanks for hopping on. Yeah, of course. Yeah, no problem. And, you know, we appreciate it because, you know, as now we're still trying to, um, we're still developing. It's still interesting because as we were going through the process, we wanted to make sure to document everything that was happening. So mm. funny enough, uh, we were actually in the, in the midst of producing a documentary of what oh, wow. we were doing and what we went through. Um, so funny enough, we're still in development with that. We don't have any names picked out yet, but we are in the midst of creating a, you know, a, a, a I don't know if it'll be feature length or, or I don't know however much footage we have, we'll see, but we're creating a documentary in regards to it because the whole point was just to show um, people, but specifically, you know, black people that it is possible to have that uh, opportunity to do something that you otherwise didn't think you'd be able to do, um, have the, you know, support system and just having people understand that there are options because uh, we know a lot of people who simply didn't even know that this process existed which was surprising. So, um, you know, we're just really excited to, you know. Share our story. Right. Absolutely. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So just, just give us a little rundown of your background, who you guys are, and, and then we'll get, we'll get started. Sure. Um, so, of course, um, so I'm from Philadelphia originally. I was born in Philadelphia. Um, I actually ended up moving out of Philadelphia when I was very young went to Michigan. When I moved to Michigan, I was there for about five or six years with my father's family. And um, after we lived there in Lansing for that many years, we moved down here in 99 uh, for my mom's job. And so ever since, you know, we came down here, we lived here for a while. Uh, I moved around several counties until we basically landed in uh, Norcross, which is where we, you know, pretty much been residing for a long time. And, um, and that's, I actually ended up, you know, her and I ended up meeting at in high school. That's how we met. Mm -hmm. I'm from Chicago. Uh, and then I lived in Indiana for a while through middle school. And then I moved here in what 2011. Yeah. When I first started oh, wow. high school. I was, I'm two, I'm two years behind him. So I was a freshman and he was a junior and we met that same year through chorus, uh, chorus class. And we started dating the beginning of the next year, 2012, uh, dated all throughout him finishing high school and then me finishing um, in 2015. And then we got married that same year. So mm -hmm. I was 18. He was 20. Um, and when we first got married, you know, we were just kind of trying to enjoy each other. We were still young. And <laughs> when you're young, you kind of think like, oh, you have plenty of time to do whatever it is that you want to do. Being young and being married normally means that you either A, want to immediately start a family or you want to just kind of start enjoying each other and then have a family later, um, which is what we decided to do. Um, we got married in 2015 and then in, I want to say 2016, we were like, you know, ready to start building our family. Actually, it was a, a, a very interesting moment. We had been 
waiting. I mean, he would have had kids when we first got married if he had yeah. it his way. But <laughs> I was like, I need to enjoy being, you know, with you being just yeah. a couple. So um, in 2016, I was working this job just like in a restaurant. And it was this moment where I was sweeping the floors. I will never forget it. And I, it just was this feeling that came upon me like, I want to start, I want to start our family. And so when he came and picked me up from work that day, I was all excited. I was like, honey, I'm ready. You know, let's have a baby. Like, let's just, let's do this. <laughs> and, you know, of course he was on with it because he, he would, had been wanting to do it. But for me, it was just this moment where it was kind of like, I describe it as like a, a flip, like the switch, the switch was flipped in yeah, right. me. To be like, I'm ready to, yeah. to do this. And with, uh, so plot twist. After she had this feeling of wanting to start a family, I was like, sure, you know, let's do it. I want to say a few days later. Two weeks, about two weeks. About two, about two weeks later. We changed our diet. We changed everything. Getting ready. Yeah. And then she's like, she, you know, she looks at me, you know, obviously when you're, when you know somebody very well, you know, they're tiny, you know, their cycles, you know, everything. So, we were like, you know, she kind of talked to me, and she's like, um, you know, something, something's going on. And I was like, oh, what, what's this? So she took a pregnancy test, and we find out she's pregnant. Mm-hmm. Now, doing some math, we kind of figured that she might have been either pregnant at the moment she said it, and like, because, you know, pregnancy tests don't detect it until around four or five weeks, right. unless you have a really strong one, which at that point we were broke. So we didn't have a really strong one. We didn't do blue, uh, uh, what is it called? We did one of those um, Dollar Tree. We did the Dollar Tree. We didn't have, like, you know, True Rule or whatever it's called. Right. Rolled out in, like, the middle of the night to go get a bunch more. Right. So, make sure. you know, and so assuming she had it been, you know, two weeks later after she had that feeling, the assumption is that she might have been pregnant when she said that, which was crazy. Or I got pregnant. Or got pregnant shortly after. So it was exciting. So obviously we were running around the house, you know, we just, you know, we just was going crazy. And, um, you know, of course this, this was now for some context, she had been taking birth control before all this. Mm-hmm. So we had no standard or baseline for kind of anything. So we, uh, you know, we, once we decided, Hey, let's try to start a family. She was off birth control at this point for about, I, even offer, that? Uh, I think we, we started trying in February late like mid-February and I had got off of birth control that previous like September September yeah mm-hmm. so it, it had to have been a few months yeah so we didn't have a baseline for anything right we didn't know how you make a baby we didn't we, 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 like, <laughs> you know so we just like all right we, we do didn't our have thing. any knowledge of like ovulation yeah we know you know we were just like we have a baby change up our diet and because mind you it was easy for everybody. It was easy for our parents. It was easy for her parents. Yeah. I mean, you talk to the right people. It was an accident. That's how easy it is. And mm-hmm. in, in school, they teach you that, you know, you have sex, you get pregnant. That's just what happens. That's it. So we figured it'd be the same thing for us. Yeah. However, sometime later, uh, I want to say it had to have been about week six or seven of her pregnancy, which, by the way, it, you usually can't detect it till about week five. So I, that's about two weeks down the road after the pregnancy was confirmed by a clinician. Um, basically, they confirmed it through urine tests. So, okay, you're pregnant, but we had to do an ultrasound. They did an ultrasound. Well, well, what happened was in the interim, she started bleeding a lot mm-hmm. and we didn't know what was going on. And so obviously we were concerned. So we ran off to the hospital. We went to the emergency room, which, by the way, to this day, I believe was a mistake on our part. Mm-hmm. But when we went to the emergency room, they checked and come to find out she had lost the pregnancy. Was I was currently in the, in the was, process. Was, in, the, uh, in, the, in the process, yeah. So yeah. the bleeding was supposed to have been, you know, by pregnancy ending itself. Honestly, um, when we had first went to the hospital, I was like kind of bleeding. But I didn't really start bleeding until they tried to do an exam on me because, you know, I had just gotten married. You know, we hadn't been sexually active or anything before we got married. So, you know, I had never had a pap smear or anything. So I had never been examined. Mm -hmm. And that aggravated my body. I started bleeding a lot more. 
and you know we just we kind of just went home after that because he was trying to tell us like oh you know you're you're having a miscarriage and I was like well that don't make sense because I was doing fine until you touched me yeah <laughs> so you know we went home and we um got it checked got checked again a couple days later and I was still bleeding pretty heavily and so they confirmed that I was you know having a miscarriage yeah and, and for context by the way they they test all this stuff by using a hormone called HCG mm-hmm. which is typically how you can um, you can track a pregnancy's growth, right? Mm-hmm. So the HCG went from a certain amount here and it started slowly going mm-hmm. down. So that's pretty much the indication you are in the midst of a miscarriage or you are having one or had had one mm-hmm. because the right. hormones have to leave your body. Mm-hmm. So it was painful for us to have to go to the clinic and the number was constantly going down. And, you know, eventually we just had to accept the fact that uh that we had lost the pregnancy. Yeah. Once I once I zeroed out, once I got below the pregnant level, I was like, okay, well, this is what's happening. Yeah. So, you know, it at that time it was a little different because, you know, I was nineteen years old. The doctor was like, you know, basically nothing that you did could have done this. Sometimes these things just happen. I'm sure you'll get pregnant again, you know, very quickly because you're young. So that's kind of what we we took and went with was, yeah. you know, okay, let's try again and keep trying. So from that point, you know, we just kept trying. At this point, we started doing more research on ovulation and cycles and different ways that you can get pregnant and different things that you can do to help yourself get pregnant. Um, but. but it took us. <laughs> but. I mean, the months just kept going on. The years just kept going on. And, you know, at a certain point, it got to a point where, you know, I'm just every month that my period comes on, I'm just like bawling, crying, depressed because, you know, I go from, oh, you're young. I'm sure you'll get pregnant in no time to now we're one, two and then three years without getting pregnant. Mm -hmm. So I want to say about a year and a half in, I finally I went to the doctor and, you know, same thing. Oh, you're young. It'll be fine. There's nothing going on. But they did a um, test on me where they took like some dye and they checked your uh, tubes and everything. And they said, you know, we see something that could be maybe scarring, but it's nothing to worry about. So I'm like, okay, yeah, that's so kind we of never, weird. We never thought of it. Where would this scarring be coming from? But they say there's nothing causing it. So, okay, sure. And then okay. I decided to, to go. So, Around this point in time, we had a lot of ideas floating in and out of our heads about kind of the next steps we can take um, because of the miscarriage. So we started weighing our options. And so obviously we started learning about, you know, dietary changes. So we tried that. It didn't work. We learned about using certain medication that didn't work. So um, my mother specifically kind of came to us one day and was like, have you guys ever thought about doing like any fertility treatments like IUI or IVF. I said, first of all, sis, listen, I ain't got the money for that. I don't know what you think. I don't know what you think we got going on, but like, yeah, yeah. exactly. And now I'm like, we really don't have the money for that, but well, that's true. Yeah. So we were being talked to from her uh, or by her about IVF, but we also kind of looked into it, you know, in other ways. But even talking to her, I'm like, we really don't have the money because it's like you don't think of that kind of stuff, right? You know, we're young black people, man. I, <laughs> I ain't got to like right. that. But as time went on, we were like, we need to check ourselves. Let's get checked. So she got checked. And then the doctor was like, hey, man, have you thought about getting checked? Now, never a day in my life did I think I need to get checked for anything because here, you know, I'm a man. So being raised as a man, you never think there's something wrong with me. And that sounds extremely selfish and extremely toxic, but this is where the lesson came in at. So I decided I'll go check myself for the sake of this process. Let me go check. I go get a semen analysis, come to find out it's healthy, but um, most of most of them were not moving. Hmm. Motility. I had poor sperm motility, never anything I thought about or could consider or anything. A doctor looked at me and was like, dude, your likeliness of having another pregnancy is so low. I wouldn't even suggest you guys do anything else but uh, assisted fertility treatment. Oh, wow. Like he looked me dead in my eye and said that. And I just like, I felt broken because at this point I knew that she had 
her, you know, polyp or issue that was going on inside of her. And now and to we know, didn't even know about it. Well, right, but that so, was exactly. Yeah, so this was the doctor who told us, you know, oh, you know, she's fine. There's nothing going on. The scar tissue is nothing. Um, but then they did the uh, sperm analysis for right. him, and they were like, you know, you should probably Pro- go should probably No, they was like, bro, yeah. listen. I mean, they were like, yeah, you need to go to the fertility doctor. So we went to the fertility doctor, and, you know, she kind of talked about our options with us. We talked about doing an IUI. We talked about IVF. She kind of introduced that idea to us because, you know, we were still going off of the heels of them saying, you're young, you'll be fine, it'll happen, there can't be anything wrong with you. Until you went to the fertility, until we went to the fertility clinic and they were like, yeah, um, maybe let's find out if there's something going on. So, um, they introduced the idea of doing IUI or IVF after they did another test on me. They wanted to do another one of the dye tests so that they could see what the other doctors were looking at when it came to this supposed scar tissue. Mm -hmm. So we did another one of those tests, and the fertility doctor comes to find out that it was a uterine polyp. So what my, you know, regular doctor wrote off as, it's scar tissue, you're fine, there's nothing going on, the fertility doctor took a look and was like, yeah, that's a polyp. And a polyp is kind of like a, it's it's in the same family as a fibroid. It's like a mass that's going to be in, in, inside of you. And it can sometimes stop you from being able to get pregnant. Sometimes it can um, cause you to have miscarriages. And that's just what it does. And then the so, scar tissue on top of that is mm-hmm. a layer. Yeah, I'll say scar tissue. So the deal is the scar tissue is a layer of tissue that's inside of your uterine wall. That is, it's a tuft. Mm-hmm. thick layer of tissue mm-hmm. what that does is when a small very soft you know egg or embryo at this point tries to implant inside of the wall mm-hmm. because that scar tissue is so thick it is very difficult and most times it ends in a miscarriage that sometimes isn't even you know you can't even uh, you don't even know what's happening because is you know it's inside you it's invisible it's it so. we don't even know when mine showed up we don't know if this was here before my first miscarriage and that's what, what caused it we don't know if it developed afterwards because i never had any surgery to get rid of my you know my baby um i passed everything naturally so nobody ever went in to check anything because i passed my embryo naturally so after they did that and they found the polyp we were supposed to be scheduling to get it removed. Technically, the doctor was like, technically, some people can go through a pregnancy with a polyp. Some people are fine. Um, but in order for us to pursue any type of fertility treatment, we need to get this removed first, whether it is that we're doing an IUI, whether it is that we're doing IVF. Now, with his uh, sperm analysis, the best option for us was going to be IVF. But our first thought process was, Instead of pursuing either, let's just first get the polyp removed because there's no point in, you know, getting me pregnant unless we know that I can keep the pregnancy with the polyp removed. Mm-hmm. So we scheduled the appointment to have the polyp removed. Um, and then we had a consult a week before the surgery date to remove the polyp because it's, it's a surgery. Um, they had to put me on, like, local anesthesia or whatever and, and like, put me under um, but it's like an outpatient, so I left the same day. But they scheduled that, and they scheduled the consult a week before because they have to, you know, basically make sure that you're ready for the surgery, and they have to make sure that you're not pregnant. Now, before we talk about the consult, let's discuss kind of what IUI and IVF are because those letterings sometimes yeah, get confused. Oh, uh, yes. So. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> she's running, man. She's running through it. We'll just yeah. Say, but well, I, I love getting I, that I kind of detail. I mostly talk to, because everything we've been right. through, I now yeah. am in a community where I talk to women who also have fertility These issues. acronyms are right. 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 I forget. But, like, but, okay. it, but I, I got y'all. I got y'all. So IUI is um, uh, interuterine insemination where they take, and I'm just going to make it as simple as possible. They take the sperm, they put it shoot in, inside they the put it in like a uterus. turkey baster uh, shooty thing, and they just shoot it into the uterus. Not directly they don't, anywhere. They don't guide it anywhere. They just, you know, shoot it in and hope that it it's another way of, it's like sex with a tube that's basically it you just it's the tube it's in there it does the thing and that's it 
It's like, you know that joke where women make about, you know, taking a turkey baster. And That's what it is. Imagine basically that, but like $400 with insurance. Like, it, I was like, no, we're good. Okay. Now, IVF is in vitro fertilization. So that is a much more complicated process where they have to take the egg out of her uh, or any woman, take the egg out. They have to actually... It, they have to actually take a needle and insert the sperm inside of the egg, mm-hmm. right? It turns then into a, a an embryo. After a few days of development, that's when they take the uh, the embryo, put it into another needle, or I guess you call it a syringe or whatever, mm-hmm. and they put it then inside of the uterus. They place the embryo, the growing maturing embryo inside of the uterus directly mm-hmm. that is a much more intimate much more uh, intense process so those are the differences and it was better for us because remember he had a great count but not all of them were moving so mm-hmm. what if i do an iui and they shoot in a bunch of sperm that aren't moving right. the ivf is what makes no sense for us because the way that we did it was that they were able to go in and pick which sperms and everything were the best and then put those into the egg and make the embryo. Right. So we already knew by the time they were putting the embryo inside of me that it's going to be a, a good embryo. I mean, well, you know. Well, and then on top of that, that. It was it was an embryo and not just. Exactly. The, <laughs> the deal with IVF is that we'll get into this more later. But the deal with IVF is you have a lot more say so in, in what you know about your body. Yes. And you what have a you little know bit. about the embryo. Right. So there's that. But now to the consult. So we go to the consult. Uh, not going to say the doctor's name because your privacy and all that. But we went with, uh, to this woman's office. And, of course, we were nervous because we're like, okay, this is like the week before. This is a big deal. We had insurance and all that stuff at the time. And we pretty much were just, you know, we're just helping God just provides for us because we're like, you know, be fruitful and multiply. It says it right there. Come on, let's do this. What are we doing, right? So we get into this consult, and uh, they always check to make sure the woman's not pregnant, obviously, because you don't want to do anything that might hurt the baby. Um, and if they're not pregnant, hip, hip, hooray, we move on with the process. So uh, she goes to check, you know, do the little urine test. We're chilling, sitting down. Uh, the nurse comes back. She looks at us, and she says, um, she said, uh, Ariel, how, Ariel, how, how are you feeling? And uh, she said, I mean, well, yeah, she said, well, I've been sniffling a little bit. haven't been feeling very well. Uh, and then the, the nurse, the doctor looked up at us and was like, well, it's probably because you're pregnant. Yay. And according to this oh, test, wow. you are currently pregnant. Mm-hmm. So wow. no surgery for me. So when <laughs> I, okay, just, I'm going to set the scene. <laughs> now we get this news. Now, obviously we've gone through all this. Paid all this money for ultrasounds. At this point, we're three years. Three years. No pregnancy of, you know, just straight infertility. So my wife and I look at, first of all, she just busts out crying. Uh, Well, uh, straight away. Just for a a note, too. I I believe it's a year to a year and a half, depending on your age, of not having any type of pregnancy. That's when, that's called infertility. Right. So she was, at this point, considered infertile. Um secondary infertility because they don't know the real reason because i it was secondary because i had gotten pregnant before right there's that but so after we got the news she busts out crying she's just going in i'm looking stupid i'm like (laughs) i'm sitting here like bro what are you talking about now mind you we always voice record our conversations with doctors because you already know what's up i mean especially now in the medical industry you got to be careful you got you know so (laughs) so we're this whole thing was voice recorded and so we're sitting here and I'm just like, oh my gosh, what do you mean? Like, what are you, what are you talking about? So she shows us the pregnancy test and it's like, she's pregnant. So we went through all that <laughs> and it was crazy. The doctor started crying. She's like, I can't believe, like, uh-huh. you know. So we leave the doctor's office that day and we're just ecstatic. We're like, we cannot believe this. Like, what a great story. What a wow. great testimony the week before. Po- uh, uh, polyp surgery, you right. find out that you're pregnant. And so we were excited. Um, now, obviously, you know, real quick, there were, in the back of our minds, we were a little concerned because we were like, okay, but the polyp is still there. Yes. But, but, like, but I said, it's some like, women, you know, 
are able to go through a pregnancy with a polyp. And sometimes you actually end up delivering the polyp with the baby. Right. It's weird. Weird. Don't think too much about but, it. But yeah. basically, <laughs> we were really excited. We started, I mean, we told almost everybody because, of course, we had a miscarriage before. So it's always an adventure. And also, right? you know, I was trying to take it a little bit more easy. I mean, as, as I could because I still had to go to work. But, you know, I let my bosses know, you know, I got to, I got to. You got to take, take it, it kind of easy. Yeah. So, so we get excited. We tell, I tell my mom and we tell, we have a church family. We told our church family mm-hmm. and we're just getting things ready. Cause we're like, man, this is, this is crazy. This is awesome. You know? Mm-hmm. And as time was going on, you know, we're just checking on her, make sure she's okay. You know, everything's going fine. Great. We go to the doctor to get once again, the ACG, right? Mm-hmm. The human, I'm not, don't, never mind. ACG. So it's the unit of measurement that they the, use to yeah. determine if you're pregnant. As pre-established. So we go to the doctor and the first number is fantastic. I want to say it was like almost a thousand or something. What was it? Like you know, it was like four. It was it was it was good. It was a good number. We were like, wow, okay, great. Yeah, oh, cool. Yes. Go to the second appointment. It rose again. Mm-hmm. We were like, okay, this is this is great. This is great. So as time went on, she was going to work and stuff, and then I'll, I'll let her tell this part because it gets a little kind of iffy. Um, I started to bleed again, but I mean, it was it wasn't as bad as it was the first time. The first time I had like bleeding, I was cramping, like I was worried. This time I was just bleeding, so you know, I took a few days off of work. I told my manager uh, at my job, I was like, you know, hey, I'm pregnant. This is my history. I need to, you know, stay at home and kind of monitor it. And so we had decided, you know, we'll stay, stay at home, take it easy until you're done bleeding before you go back to work. So um, that happened for, I want to say a few days to a week. And then it, it stopped. I mean, you know, it, I, I wasn't bleeding anymore. So I went to work, but on my way to work, I started gushing a lot of blood again. So yeah. So <laughs> I went to work just because I was already on the way, and I, was, I think I was taking the train at this time, but I ended up having him come and pick me up, and I went home, and, you know, just once again, just kind of rested until I stopped bleeding again. Um, at this time, I think they did some um, tests for my numbers again. They looked like they were starting to drop, but I also had kind of like a negative experience with the doctor, just, just in that, you know, my, my number didn't drop, like they did with my first miscarriage. They just were kind of varied. And that we, when you read up online and stuff, some people are like, look, my numbers were drop, 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 drop. And then they just like shot up and, you know, I had a healthy baby. But, you know, the doctor that I was talking to kind of did not help with anything. So at that point, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to, talking to the doctor and stuff is stressing me out. So I'm just going to wait until I can have my ultrasound. So they scheduled me for my ultrasound for eight weeks. And I was like, we'll just see the baby at the at the ultrasound and, you know, just get rid of all of this extra unnecessary stress. Now, obviously, um, going up to that point, we're very nervous. Mm-hmm. A lot of, I mean, I know I was, you, you know, we just at this point were like, this cannot happen again. Like, did right. we it just, it was already a lot just how it happened at mm-hmm. the clinic. We told these people and now it's like these, it's this extra heavy um, burden of expectation that you have to carry now because mm-hmm. you done told people and now folk are excited. And not to mention there are people who are getting pregnant, uh, you know, around us. And so we're like, come on, man, this, you know, this, come on. So, you know, we just took it easy. I stopped bleeding. I took comfort in, you know, that I wasn't bleeding and that I was still having plenty of pregnancy symptoms. Um, With the second pregnancy, I was even, you know, not necessarily showing, but I was, you know, bloating up. I gained more weight than I did with the first one. I was having all these symptoms and stuff that I didn't have the first time. So by the time we went to the appointment, I was like, I think I'm okay. You know, I think that I probably just had one of those instances where the numbers just kind of move around. So when we went for the ultrasound, um, we were in there. It was me, my husband, and my in-laws. And they went to do the the stuff on your on your belly for the well, I didn't think they could do it in It was it was it was, both. The it was actually both. Yes. They did the one on top and and the inner. And so the, the inner, inner one, they, they stick it inside of you. So um but when they did the ultrasound, they couldn't find the baby. So mm-hmm. 
they did that's why they ended up doing both because they couldn't find the baby with with the first one so they did the second one to see if they could even see the sac so what they saw was old blood from when i had been bleeding and they saw they saw the sac collapsed so i had experienced another miscarriage somewhere like within that seventh week or so 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 let's so here we go let's just so after that we were done like it, it was just such a gut punch it was so painful because of the way that we found out we were pregnant it just all seemed so so true and so like it just we just couldn't believe it. we you know and there was a certain point where we're like god but what is what are you doing like you know we, we sat we prayed and we woke hoped and we wished and yeah. like we did everything and and still it still happened and so at this point we were just i mean i, I can honestly say probably like i was definitely depressed i mean i was just done i just thought we were never supposed to have a kid. It just yeah. wasn't supposed to happen. Uh, it was a lot harder on us than the first because, you know, the first time we had a lot more hope. We had only been trying to get pregnant for two weeks. I was 19. We were like, you know, we'll just keep going. And low-key, we was broke. So, like, the first one, it was like, I mean, all we right. like, okay, that's fine. It just must not be the right time. But now, you know, we're three years later. I'm more established. Yeah, more established. I'm a little bit older. Not like I was, what, 22. I'm not like super old. But at this point, as he was saying, I've seen a lot of people around me who weren't even thinking about having kids get pregnant and have multiple children by the time I get pregnant for the second time. So, you know, the second time it hit a lot harder than the first. Uh, We were both depressed for a very long time. But eventually... We decided to go ahead and venture forth with doing the IVF. We booked another um, consultation with the fertility clinic, and, you know, she gave us the number. She gave us the success rate. She was letting us know, you know, at this point, well, first of all, let me backtrack. I had the I had the surgery. I had the polyp removal surgery. Okay. Um, me, I was so far done with it. Like, that's why I didn't even mention it, because I barely even noticed that I had it. I was just done with everything. But what the doctor did was they had me hurry up and do it after I lost the baby. So, you know, less than, I want to say like a month after I miscarried. And the second miscarriage, I actually had two days before our, what, five-year anniversary? Yeah, it was tough. Four or five-year anniversary. So, you know, that was rough on me. So that's why I say by the time it was time to have it removed, I was done. I was done with everything. You know, I just had pretty much kind of thought to myself as a woman, because, you know, especially from a Christian point of view is, is you're thinking as a woman that you're supposed to uh, be fruitful and multiply. You're supposed, you are put here to make beautiful babies and be a mom. And that's just what you do. And society pushes that narrative as well. So everybody around me is having all these babies. And I'm just thinking at this point, well, you know what? Maybe I'm just not going to be a good mom. Maybe I am not meant to be a mom. You know, I just had this whole depressive episode and um, I had the polyp removed, not of my own volition. I had it removed because that's what the doctor told me to do. And because that's what my husband told me to do. I had it removed. Um, the surgery was successful. And in the surgery, um, the doctor that did the surgery, I actually found to be one of the best doctors that I ever had worked with during those years. Um, because over the years of us trying to get pregnant, I had wanted to have a female doctor because I was like, oh, she'll understand me better. But in all actuality, the female doctors did not understand me at all. And the doctor who removed my polyp was a male. He was an older black guy. And for the first time in three, four years of me, you know, trying to get pregnant, trying to figure out what's going on with me, he was the first person who actually sat down and listened to me and said, you know what, I know that you're young, but what is happening to you is not normal. And we need to pursue other avenues. So after some months, we finally decided to go ahead and take that next step do the consultation with the fertility doctor. I think they gave us like a 60 or 70% success rate. So, you know, we decided we're just going to try it. And for me, I was like, we're going to try this, but if it don't work, I'm done. I'm not doing this again. I'm not experiencing another loss. I'm not experiencing 
any more years and years and years and years of seeing other people get what I can't have. So we kind of, this was kind of like a put all of our marbles into this bowl. Yeah, this was it, man. This it wasn't just. Because I was not doing it again. It wasn't just our emotional marbles. It was yeah. our financial, financial marbles. Our social yeah. marbles. Yeah. Our, you know, because we had, at this point, we had friends who were getting popping pregnant, 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 pregnant. And I'm just like, all right, man, like, this is it. IVF is the decision we made. And if it don't work, we just, then, I, just I just am not meant to be. We're just going to be parents to dogs because, you know, they don't, they love We'll have to go get pets. Maybe but, some fish, a couple birds. I don't know. So we decided to move forward with it. Um, As my husband has said, IVF is expensive. And that's <laughs> why it's often not a first choice. Unfortunately, a lot of people who deal with infertility end up going years and years and years and years without having children because they can't afford IVF. IVF without insurance coverage for one cycle is normally about twenty to thirty thousand dollars, twenty-five to thirty thousand oh, wow. dollars. Um, we had to kind of fast track our cycle because I was on uh, my mom's insurance and I was planning on getting off at the end of the year because um, I wanted to get under his insurance. And you know, we wanted to. This was our adult move of we're gonna get our own insurance. So IVF is expensive. You're looking at between twenty-five and thirty thousand dollars for one cycle. That's why a lot of people be like, "Well, guess I'm not meant to have kids." But I was under my mom's insurance, um, and we were trying to hurry up and do it because I was planning on getting off at the end of the year. And her mom works for this really large insurance company. So I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't say which one because there's hundreds of which. Them. Which insurance company does she work for? Oh, just kidding. <laughs> it's the fifth one and so it helped us a lot that's yes, a lot because she was an employee so I had really great coverage uh, come to find out they were actually going to cover what was it like a 60-40 type deal yeah we were going to have to and pay and then they covered 40. a lot of the medication so at the end of the day we were looking at paying about 4000 for the site, not for the whole cycle but for the retrieval to retrieve the eggs and the sperms and stuff and about 4000 for the meds so normally you're looking at about ten thousand for the cycle and ten thousand for the mix. So we saved a good amount of money. Yeah. Uh, actually, I think it might have been even been more for the cycles. I, I think it was sixty forty. But yeah. So um, but we had to come up with this money. You know, it took us some months to heal from the last loss. So I don't think we started this process until like. August, September. Yeah, because here's the deal. Not only did we have to heal from the process, but now we have to we have to beg for money because we're yeah. like, dude, we don't have this type of money. So we go around and you know, we start a campaign of just trying to get the money yeah. up. Family yes, members. Family and, members and hey, who wants to throw in some money because And you had some that said yes, you had some that said, Well, if you can't afford this process, maybe you're too broke to have kids. You heard the yeah, whole I thing. mean, yeah, but just a side note, that makes no sense because yeah. everybody else around here has babies for free. They don't have to come up with $10,000 to have a baby. <laughs> and even if I had $10,000 sitting to the side, I surely did not have it sitting to the side for IVF. But anyway, so we had to basically kind of get this money together. Um, at the end of the day, we ended up coming up with a good amount. And then um, a family member, uh, a couple of family members came together to get us the rest. So we were able to do it literally at the last minute. I think we had the retrieval in like December of 2019 because I think we did it right after my birthday because my birthday is December 1st. So by the way, the retrieval is when you get the eggs out. Get the eggs out. That's that's one cost. And then you have to pay separately for the medication because IVF is injections. So with the IVF, in order to prepare myself to have my eggs retrieved, they had to put all these hormones in me. They basically had to make me ovulate. Your body naturally ovulates every 30 days. That's why you have periods. And you normally drop one egg, and that's when you have a chance to get pregnant. With an egg retrieval, they want to make me produce as many eggs as possible. So they have to pump me up full of hormones so that I can produce more than that one egg and hopefully produce a whole bunch of them because not every egg is going to be good. So I did injections. I want to say I started off doing like one a day for some weeks and then I went up to two. And, you know, these were in my abdomen. So I had all these little um, injection spots all over me, um, doing them at home, doing them at work. You know, I'm just getting these little 
shots and stuff in and they pumped me full of the hormones by the time we got to the retrieval day that's another surgery so that's another time I had to be put under and um by the time we got to the retrieval day I think they retrieved 27 27 27 so now remember your body naturally drops one when you ovulate so they pumped me up with enough medication that I made 27 (laughs) so yeah that's um yeah <laughs> that's no, a lot of we were not planning on having 27 kids no so, so when you're doing IVF they want to get you to make as many as you can because not all of them are going to make it to the end right. so even though they retrieved 27 eggs from me they ended up only having 20 of those being mature enough to actually you know become embryos and then of those 20 they give them five days um to to just grow and to see where they're going to go at the end of five days whatever you have left is what you get to work with by the end of the five days we had what was it like 18 or 12 that was 12 12 i think we had 12 at the end of the five days so almost you know, half well more than half yeah more than half of them had dropped gone. off so you know for context i've seen people in some of my you know ivf groups and stuff who started off with like 27, 28, ended up with three. So, <laughs> yeah, by the end of the five days, we had 12. Then um, we decided to do something called genetic testing. It's an optional thing, but it was good for us because we did not know for sure what caused my first miscarriage. The second miscarriage, you know, they say was caused by the polyp, but there are actually a lot of different things that can factor into you having a miscarriage because if the idea is that I developed the polyp after my first miscarriage, the question still becomes, why did I lose the first baby? A lot of the time people have hormone imbalances and stuff and just different things, genetic issues that can happen. So they did genetic testing on the 12, which we were very happy about, because at the end of the day, only seven of those 12 were genetically normal. So we had five abnormal embryos that would have ended up resulting in five more miscarriages. So we had our seven embryos. We had two girls and five boys. And then at that point, you just transform inside of you. And so at this particular point, obviously, we're excited because we got to this stage where we have the amount that we're going to have. And so what they do is they effectively freeze them. Well, we wanted to do fresh. We wanted to do we fresh. We wanted to do fresh because, remember, I was getting off of the insurance at the end of the year. And fresh, we, by the way, is when they take it the, they take the, the, directly. And they take my it. little egg, put the put, make it into the embryo, and they put it right inside of me. And that's called a fresh transfer. So they were going to do that. But my hormone levels were actually too high. So they weren't able to. I produced too many. When when you produce so many of them, your hormone levels get so high that it's like if we were to put an embryo inside of you, then you would end up having a lot of issues. So for context, this happened at the end of 2019. End of 2019. End of my insurance coverage. Now, real quick, if I had been able to do it with my insurance coverage, my transfer, which is when they take the, the embryo and put it inside of you, would have been like, what was it, 750 750 yeah, $700. So. But without insurance, which is how it was going to be the next year, I, we would have had to pay $4,250. So we were really trying to get this embryo inside okay. of you by the end of December. So when we found out that my hormone levels were too high, we were depressed. Yeah, we were very upset. We were not depressed. We were very upset because it was like, dang, we really got to come up with another four grand. <laughs> But anyway, you know, once all that happened, we just resolved ourselves to doing a frozen transfer. Yeah. Which, uh, as the name su- suggests, they freeze them and then they transfer. So at this particular point, 2020 hits, and we all know what happened in 2020. Just when we started getting, just when we were close to getting the rest of the money to do the transfer. The pandemic hits, and now mm-hmm. the office is closed mm-hmm. because they didn't want to touch nobody. They don't want to touch nobody. They don't want you coming near them. They said, stay away from me. The numbers were going up. Things were skyrocketing. The NBA shut down. Disney World shut down. Waffle House shut down. And so did the the uh, infert- uh, fertility clinic. So, boom, worked out like we're in a standstill. Our kids are stuck in the freezer, and we can't do anything, <laughs> right? So we literally just had to wait. But in the meantime, while we were waiting, we weren't able to get the money up. So that actually did help us out 
a lot. Other people spent their stimmies on cars and TVs. <laughs> yeah, our stimulus check, which, by the way, stimulus check really helped. Yeah. That actually went to the process. So everything works out for a reason, right? Mm-hmm. So we finally go in, day of transfer. Do you remember July what day? July 14th. July I'll never 14th. forget. It's about to be our transfer anniversary, transferversary. <laughs> yes. So July 14th, we go in for the 2020. Transfer. We have our shirts on. We're really excited. Only Here's, I could go. I couldn't go in. Because of the in. pandemic. Yeah. So, so normally, you know, you experience this together, but unfortunately, because of the pandemic, they didn't allow us to have anybody. Yeah. So I had to go in by myself, and he sat in the car. Yeah. But once she came out, literally, we looked at each other. We had a picture of our we, little embryo. We, we hugged each other. And we we're like, all right, now we just this wait. is it. We're going to wait and see what happens. We're obviously excited. We're praying, and we're just going to wait. So they call it the infamous two-week wait. Mm-hmm. The two week wait it's is the time, right? The two week wait is the time in which you have to wait for the embryo to attach to the uterine wall, for your hormones to start acting normally, and for all this to happen. By the way, at this point, we are using, we're still using hormones to get everything kind of yeah. going. At this point, I'm doing injections in my backside. I had been doing those for, because before the transfer, I had to do medication again. I had to do more injections in my abdomen as well as I had to start doing them. In my backside. And that was not fun. I but had to have him do it for me because thing. it was very scary. So with everything that we had been through, all the hurt, the, the anxious feelings, the, the pain, um, the the absolute terrible feeling that we had of going through all this, we did the two-week wait. We got our results. And, well, here she is. Here she is. Hi. What's the 10 days? Um, test my number was higher than it had ever been with any of my pregnancies, and it wow. just kept going. Yeah. They want that number to double. Mine was like tripling, quadrupling, and they kept me on medication throughout my pregnancy. And here she is. She oh, is beautiful. She is beautiful. Abigail. Abigail, hi. This is my transfer, baby. So, yeah, everything worked. And, you know, it just, uh, that entire process, the journey, it was, it was, uh, I mean, honestly, the hardest thing that we had gone through as a couple. Because but the reward, you know, you know, it's been better than in any of it. Absolutely. So that, that's our story. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's an amazing story, you know, like that whole process that you guys went to emotionally and, Physically, you know, like you guys are real overcomers and your baby is just so beautiful. I'm so happy for you guys, for real. Yeah, we appreciate it. I mean, and honestly, just, you know, the message that we, you know, continue to try to get out is just don't stop, man. Don't stop. Like, I mean, it may hurt, you know, it may be, it just, it, it doesn't feel great when you're in the midst of it. You'll cry, you'll be angry, you'll throw stuff, you'll, you know, break something. Hey, man, do it, you know. Really express it because I think sometimes people don't people disconnect themselves emotionally from a process because it's hard. But what we learned to do was like we sat in a room together and just cried. We just met together, and it just it felt good because we were able on one accord on one page at one time. We were able to just make decisions and say, "Well, look, it hurts, but let's keep going." Okay, this next step it hurt, but let's keep going. Hey, I don't like doing these injections, but let's keep going and keep going, keep going, keep going. And as we kept going, we kept pushing, we kept doing it throughout the hurt, the pain, the depression, major depression. We knew like this Anxiety is what anxiety during man, pregnancy. Seriously, because all I had ever known was pregnancies that ended prematurely. Yeah. I mean, so from month one to month nine, all we did was sit and like check her. Is her is she okay? Is she moving? Is she, you know? So it never Everything stopped. We had to take day by day and I think that is the biggest takeaway that I've gotten from this entire experience was you know you're sitting here in the midst of all of this loss all of this heartbreak all of this tragedy and you just don't know how am I going to get through this how am I going to be in a place where I can do IVF or be in a place where I can do what I need to do to be able to get what I want but I had to take it one day I would literally be like okay well look you know, tomorrow I'm going to get up 
and I'm just going to breathe. Tomorrow I'm going to get up and I'm just going to just keep going. Tomorrow I'm going to get up. I'm going to do this injection. I'm going to get up. I'm going to do this transfer. I'm going to do this pregnancy test. And I literally had to take it one day at a time. And that was how I was able to get through the, the devastation of, you know, everything that we had been through. And that's why I always try to encourage other people, you know, I, I know how it feels to just be in a place where you are just, everything is darkness around you. I know how that feels. And I also know now being able to see, you know, this light of my life that I almost gave up on the process of getting to. But because I kept going, you know, now this is what I have. Yeah. And, you know, I just try to encourage people, don't stop. Don't stop. Don't give up. And most importantly, don't allow somebody to tell you just because you're young, you can't have issues. Because honestly, Uh, she would have been here if I had been, if I had advocated for myself with those doctors who said that I was too young to have any problems. So, like, always now when we meet people who, like, have just gotten married or, you know, whatever, we always tell them, look, even if you don't want to have kids, get yourself checked. The last thing that you want is to say, oh, I've got time. And then you don't start trying until you're 40. And now you're having issues and the IVF isn't as effective. The thing about women, men can have babies up until the day that they die. But women, our egg quality, it only gets worse. My eggs now are nothing like they were when I first had my egg retrieval or like they were when I was 19. So I always tell people, get yourself checked and advocate for yourself. Don't let somebody who wears a white coat tell you something that you know on the inside of you is wrong. Yeah, and for the dads too, like that have to watch it happen. It's tough because you can't do anything. I mean, even, you know, from the moment the, you know, fertility issue started to the moment she was giving birth and I'm sitting in the hospital watching her do this, we are on the sidelines, but we have to be the greatest cheerleaders because quite frankly, we are the only people going through it together. Eight million, eight billion people on earth and it's just me and her. So it's like, I have to, you, any man or, or, or spouse or significant other has to sit and be that support because without that support man i don't i mean you really would have you don't have that 100 percent, you know connection in that that force to really push through it so you know my guiding you know principles get checked stay focused and keep going because at the end of the day and lean on each other yeah lean on each other because at the end of the day that's it the whole process relies on you whatever process it doesn't have the idea any process relies on you to continue forward because the worst thing is to give up before you reach your reward that i mean most people never forgive themselves for not trying and so i'm happy that we tried we did it we went through it and for anybody out there who wants to go through it do the research get checked do everything because you know it's possible you know don't just don't say yeah you say don't sit and say oh it's not possible because i don't have the money you never know who might reach out a hand in a check you never know but without sitting and saying, let me find out, you'll never find out because you gave up. Right. Yep. So, I mean, that's our story. We, you know, we, we, we did everything we needed to do. We, you know, we put in the work and, and thank God got, got our little, uh, our little girl here. So I, I just. She's our rainbow baby. Rainbow baby. After you experience loss, you know, that's the storm. And then the baby that you have after that is your rainbow at the end of the storm. Yep. Right. So this is our rainbow. So this is it. So if she ever gives you guys a headache, just remind her what you, what you have to go through. Exactly. Remind her how many needles I had to throw away. <laughs> right. Exactly. You, never how much money. you got problems. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah, an intensive process. But I think even as she grows older, I think she'll learn to appreciate oh, yeah. uh, her own life more because she knows, you know, that she, you know, wasn't a mistake. You know, like she was, Absolutely. she was meant to be here. This oh, is yeah. absolute purpose she for her life. She was very much wanted. <laughs> no question about it. Yeah. Yep. Wow. That's so beautiful. Yeah. Wow. That, that, what, a, what a story. I, I knew there was a huge inspiration behind the story. Yeah. Awesome. Well, this was, uh, this was an amazing, amazing, amazing interview. Thank you once again. You have such a beautiful family. 
Um, yeah, thanks for stopping by. Hearing you guys' maturity and growth through this journey, um, the terms, the language, you know, just going first, just starting off and saying, yeah, you know, we're young, let's have kids, you know, because I feel like that's what a lot of people go through. They're like, yeah, we're good. Let's start, <laughs> let's start having a family. And, you know, the lessons that you learn there. And, you know, it's the, what I learned is get checked before starting to have kids. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's a big one. Um, yeah. And just your re resilience and your pursuit, you know, it's that that is totally amazing. I think you guys wow. hit, hit the nail on the head on every question that I really had, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. You guys <laughs> answered just about every question. So if you decide to make a documentary or a book, like, I can't wait. I can't wait to read it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I wanted yeah, to ask <laughs> I wanted to ask you guys um yeah. have you guys thought about trying again like is that something in your goal or yeah. definitely a goal for us we have so we had seven embryos and we transferred in one so we still have six um yeah. before I gave birth the plan was to to have all six of those babies and then I sat in the hospital bed for 26 hours. And now, you know, I think I'm just going to take it one kid one at a time. One kid at a time. <laughs> <laughs> and we've also considered donation because at some point, yes. there, are plenty of people there are plenty of people who don't have, yeah. who, listen, this sounds crazy. There are men who don't have sperm. Mm -hmm. There are women who do not have eggs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There are, I mean, so when or who, you, who, 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 whose bodies aren't able to carry pregnancies at all, so, PCOS, yeah. endometriosis, like this whole experience has opened our eyes mm -hmm. to a whole world that we never even knew existed. But statistically, one in four out of all of the, you know, people that you meet, one in four have experienced uh, a a pregnancy or infant loss, and one in eight have experienced infertility. Mm -hmm. but people just you know are ashamed or nobody understands what it is that they're going through so I also tell people if you have if you are blessed to have not had any issues and you pop out all these kids and it's super easy and woo -hoo, woo -hoo, still be mindful that there are people around you that it might not have been easy for and they just yeah. don't know how to put into words that you know, hey, I'm happy for you, but I'm sad for me. Like our friends, by the way, don't complain about their kids around us. They can't. Mm -hmm. They literally yeah, can't. They <laughs> like our experience, it taught them that. Yeah. That, you know, we are blessed to just to be able to not have to pay all this money to have one kid. Because if we do, you know, Lord willing, we do plan on, you know, having the other kids. But each of those kids, we have to pay Forty-two, four thousand two hundred and fifty dollars right, right. plus medication. So, right. And we pay a yearly bill for them just to still be frozen. Mm -hmm. So every year, I mean, even if we don't do it, we're paying something just to have them on. They call it kids on tap, just to have them on the ready. Mm -hmm. So when we look at each other and say, "Hey, man, you probably have another baby," she say, "You know what? I do want to have another baby." Call the clinic. Hey, can we set this up? Probably about two, three months later, we have another baby. We're pregnant again, like literally. Yeah. But that's you where you have that money. That's where the benefit side. exactly. Other people get to put money to the side to save up for you know houses and fancy cars right. and stuff. Yeah, I'm taking money and putting it to the side for my baby. And that's kind of the benefit too of where we're at. We at one time we were at a disadvantage, but now we're kind of at an advantage because we can pretty much choose when we want to have kids, which is, I mean. Yeah, that's kind of great. Nice. I mean, so positive. Yeah. You get to properly prepare. So long as <laughs> yeah, because yeah. like I was saying, you know, even though I have the embryos, us women, our bodies, unfortunately, we don't get to keep having children when we're really old. Right. <laughs> Most right. of the time. Most of the time, I think they say like up to 35. After 35, they start trying to treat you like you're geriatric, which is ridiculous, but that's a completely like separate uh, yeah. topic. But yeah, so that is the plan, is to have more and to give her some siblings as long as Aww. she was okay with it. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure she would be down. <laughs> right now, she's just busy soaking up all of our love and attention. <laughs> and talking with us, so I'm sure this will reach so many people that are going through similar situations. And I've learned so much just. Absolutely. I mean, uh, just for, I don't know, I, 
if you don't mind a quick yeah. plug, shameless maybe even plug. <laughs> uh, so our brand is called Happily Hester After. That's mm-hmm. the brand we created yeah. even before we had her. That was the YouTube channel that of we us used. documenting our journey. Document. So we actually made videos and stuff of us during the process of trying and doing the IVF and us doing the shots and everything. On our YouTube and like Instagram. Yeah, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok is where we live. Um, okay. Happily, it's a playoff of happily uh, ever after, happily Hester after. And we, we are just, chasing uh, our happily ever after. Yeah. And so, just basically, that's what our platform is, is just informing people about what, you know, especially being young parents, but just being people who struggle oh. with it, who know the struggle, and who hopefully can help people, you know, with resources and those who may not, you know, feel encouraged to do it. That's pretty much what we're all about. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, we'll definitely shut you guys out as well on that. And I would love to check that out too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We appreciate it. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, it was nice meeting you, Ariel and Daryl. And what's the Abigail. Abigail. Abigail, that's right. And Abigail, nice meeting you guys. And we Abigail. wish the best for you guys. Yeah. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. To follow Daryl and Ariel's story, be sure to follow them on Instagram at Happily Hester After and subscribe to their YouTube channel at Happily Hester After. <laughs>